Well, the Bible teaches that it is insane to journey through life leaning on our own understanding. It tells us to trust in the Lord with all our heart and to lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. Now, when the Bible tells us here not to lean on our own understanding, is it encouraging us to be irrational, to separate our intellect from our faith, to sort of check out our brains at the door of Christianity when we practice our faith? No, the book of Proverbs speaks very highly of exercising our minds, of our intellects, and and what it calls many times discernment. It calls it understanding. And as we've learned the past two weeks in our sermon series, Direction for Life, through Proverbs 1 through 4, we've studied the first two chapters, and we spent a considerable amount of time in chapter 2, where it said in verse 2, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to to understanding. Verse 3 said, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Verse 11 said, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Here in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Later in Proverbs, it says, wisdom rests in the heart of the discerning in chapter 14, verse 33. So if we are supposed to gain understanding throughout our lives, why are we not supposed to lean on it? Well, we're told here in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're not to lean on our own understanding, okay? It's not the understanding that we get from God. It's not the wisdom that comes from God, not the instruction and counsel and advice and correction that comes from godly people into our lives. That's not what we're to not lean on. We're not to lean on our own personal understanding. Now, let's go back for a moment to the creation account in the early chapters of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 9, we're told that Adam and Eve were forbidden from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then eight verses later, we're told if they do participate in that and partake of it, they will surely die. Well, the point of this prohibition wasn't to keep human beings ignorant. It was to protect them from evil and from evil's final enemy, death. It's as if God were saying, if you eat from this tree, then you are declaring to me that you believe you are wiser, that you believe you are smarter than me, and you believe that you can care for yourself better than I can care for you, and that you are going to reject me. So in advising them not to eat from this particular tree, God was asking mankind to not reject him, to accept all of his good gifts and all of his care. He was inviting them to accept his generosity and to submit to his will. You see, in order to handle the knowledge of good and evil, a person would need to be omniscient, meaning that they know everything, that they have the knowledge of all options and all contingencies that would be out there, and that they would have the goodness and the wisdom to choose the right course of action every single time. They also must be known as omnipotent, that they would have all the power they need to make reality conform to the right path. So as you can see what God was saying, that you can't handle these things. And only I can handle such tasks and possess such knowledge. And what all of this means is that whoever trusts in their own understanding is the one out there who's being irrational. And whoever trusts in the Lord is the one who's being rational. Insanity is leaning on our own understanding. Sanity, on the other hand, is leaning on the Lord. And the truth is that many of the things in life that cause us anxiety 
and are the sources of fear, of doubt, and anger are the result of us leaning in life on our own understanding. And God never uh, intended for us to be miserable in this world. Even though it's a broken and a fallen world, God wants us to experience joy in life. That's why he wrote texts like Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, where he said, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, a life lived in the Lord is a life of faith. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, we live by faith, not by what? Not by sight, see? And Hebrews eleven six 6 says, for without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord our God. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, which happens to be my life verse, that I've been crucified with Christ. For it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For the life I live in the flesh, this human life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. See, our lives are to be a journey of faith where we place our trust in God. And this is why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are among the most beloved verses in the entire Bible. These are the ones that many of us, as Pastor Kerry already mentioned, have committed to memory. These are the verses that many of us have on cross stitches and plaques and paintings that hang on the walls of our houses. These verses are a priceless gift to us. And in experiencing our faith, we are trusting fully in the Lord and not in ourselves. We are not setting our intellects aside but rather we're using our intellects to rest upon God no matter what we experience in life. And no path in life is wiser than that. No path in life is saner than that than trusting in God. So allow me to invite you into this discussion personally today with a diagnostic question. Are you trusting God with your life? And that means, are you trusting God right now? Are you trusting God at this very moment in your life, at this stage in your life? You see, Proverbs chapter 3 actually presents to us six marks of wise people in verses 1 through 12. And they are set for us in couplets, six different couplets, verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4, 5 and 6, 7 and 8, 9 and 10, and 11 and 12. And the first verse of these couplets will be a command or a form of appeal that's presented to us. And then the second verse will be a summation, a a sort of the motivation for fulfilling it. And every single one of these couplets, these marks of the wise, uh, uh, they're there for us to tell us the blessings of wisdom that God will bestow on our lives if we pursue his wisdom. Uh, Look at verse one. And my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. What would be the blessing of that? Verse two, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Here's the appeal in verse three. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Love and faithfulness are the terms of a covenant relationship with God, with a spouse, with fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, bind them, hold them close to your heart. And then what does verse 4 say? 
then you will win favor. You know, you're going to experience favor with, and a good name in the sight of God and in the sight of humanity. If you keep love and faithfulness as your guiding principles in life. Of course, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What's God going to do? What's the promise there? God will make your path straight. Verse 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. What's the benefit of doing that? Verse 8, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. You'll live a healthier lifestyle if you, you know, you know, aren't going around as a know-it-all and wise in your own eyes. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Put God first. Be generous toward God and the things of God. And what does God say is the response to that? What's the motivation behind that? Verse 10, then your barns will be filled with plenty and they'll be overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. God's going to take care of you. If you're generous toward God and honor God with your first fruits and, and, and devote that to God and worship God that way, God's going to see you through. God will take care of you. Verses 11 and 12, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke. You know, when, when, don't get upset if God corrects you in life, no matter how, which form it comes in. God is saying something to you in your life, and there's a reason for that. What's the reason? Because verse 12, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. It's a sign of God's love for you. The fact that God is correcting you and his Holy Spirit's working in your life, that's a sign of God's great devotion and love for you. So back to verses five and six of trusting in the Lord with all our heart and leaning not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledging him. And God is the one who will make our path straight. Again, the question, are you trusting God with your life so that God can make your path straight. And this means holding nothing back. It means trusting in the Lord. In the Hebrew language, that's saying trust in Yahweh to the one who's trustworthy in the first place. See, God is in control of everything. And God never is overwhelmed by having too many things to do on his divine to-do list. The portrait of God that we see in the Bible, we've already sung about it here this morning. God is sitting on his throne, enthroned in high in power, in a position of power, and in absolute control. Job 42 verse 2 says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Daniel chapter 4, the end of verse 34 says, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. The end of verse 35 says in Daniel 4, God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God is trustworthy because he's sovereign. And God's sovereign rule is governed by his goodness. This is why Jesus said at the end of verse 18 of Mark chapter 10, no one is good except God alone. God's goodness is what guides God to do all he does in his sovereign rule. And Paul said the same thing in Romans 8, 28. That this good God is the one who causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him 
and are called according to his plan. So in the midst of even life's most trying moments, we can trust God because God is good. God knows exactly what we need, and God knows exactly how to supply it. And his work is carried out with exquisite skill. Do you realize that God never needs a mulligan? There are no do-overs with God. There are no retakes. And if you've watched any of our Mission Kid videos that have been produced here over the last nearly four months, and they've done a fabulous job. Michelle Kephart writing these, and, and Pastor Nathan, and, and you know, you've got the straight person and the crazy person on those videos, and they just do a wonderful job you know, going back and forth together. But then at the end, you see all these retakes. All the times they had to... Uh, do it over. Well, God never has to do that because God never makes mistakes. All God's ways are perfect. His plans are right and we can trust him. And it says that we should be trusting God with all of our hearts. Now, please understand, this is not a new concept in the Bible. From the very beginning in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, the Shema was given in Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four and five. Hear, O Israel, The Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your strength. And it goes on a few verses later to say, and impress these things upon your children as you rise up, as you lie down, and as you walk along the way. In the New Testament, Jesus was asked the same thing. He was challenged by the, you know, the scribes, the experts in the law, the Pharisees that abided by much of this. He was challenged as to what was the greatest commandment of the 613 in the Old Testament. And he, he recited the Shema basically for them. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. See, to trust in the Lord with all your heart is to engage our full mental faculties our minds, our wills, our emotions, all that we are without reservation to trust God. And this is, by the way, what we have to do for salvation. We can't trust in ourselves for salvation. Well, you know, I'm a good person. I really haven't done that much wrong in life. I I come from a really good family, and I'm making the world around me a better place to live so, so I can earn my salvation. Or sometimes people think, you know, they can partly trust God because, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for my sins, but I'm also a really good, righteous, good person, just person. I try to be fair with everybody, you know, so they think their own good works can somehow save them. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's all about Jesus. We're not saving ourselves. It's what God has done for us. And you know, some people think that stating Jesus is the only way of salvation is absolutely arrogant. You know, when Jesus said in John 14, 6, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Or if someone quotes Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, and the context is is referring to the name of Jesus, some people think making those kinds of statements is absolutely arrogant. But our humble response should always be that, hey, I'm all in. I'm trusting God for my salvation with all my heart. This is not arrogance. I am doomed without the Lord. And think about it. If that was not true, 
If Jesus Christ wasn't the only way, but we're trusting in him with all our heart, we're doomed in that case as well. So really, the truth of the gospel is unless we lay our hearts before God and trust him completely, we are doomed. We're lost. And it says here, lean not on your own understanding. You've got to set that aside in life. Now, the word for trust here uh, that we've talked about already means that we rest our full weight upon that we lay upon or we lean our full body onto the Lord. So to trust the Lord is to put your full weight upon the Lord. And to lean on our own understanding means that we are trying to do some of this on our own. It means that we get partial support from somewhere else. It's like someone using a pair of crutches, okay? They're still moving themselves, but the crutches are what they're leaning on, or somebody using a walker to get where they're going, or those medical scooters. If someone has a bad leg, they're still propelling it, still steering it, but they're doing some of the work themselves. Basically, leaning on our own understanding is doing some of it or trying to do some of it on our own. It's, it's, it's basically keeping our eyes on ourselves. The beginning of verse 7 here in chapter 3 says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Proverbs 28, verse 26, it begins with, those who trust in themselves are fools. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, not that we're competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence, competence comes from God. And again, I ask you today, are you willing to trust God with your life? This means holding nothing back from a God who is completely trustworthy, from Yahweh. This means placing your full weight upon God and not leaning upon your own abilities or your own insights, but upon God's. And verse 6 here tells us in Proverbs 3, it teaches us that if we do that, we cast our full weight upon God, then God will help us. Now, it says in the beginning of that verse, in all your ways, Submit to him. And that word submit there happens to be the Hebrew word yadah. Now, when I was learning Hebrew in seminary, it's a tough language to learn because there's a lots of lines and squiggles and dots, and everything goes from the back of the book to the front. And it starts on the opposite sides of the page, and it all reads backwards compared to what we're used to in the English language. So I had to come up with mnemonic devices, memory devices that would help me learn these various, uh, the vocabulary of the Hebrew language so then I could memorize these things. For instance, this word yada has a small corner. That's the yod which is the Y sound. Then the next letter is a straight line on the top, and then it's got a curl on that. That's the Dalit. That's the D sound. And then the next letter is an ayin, which has a 45-degree angle line with a partial semi-circle. And yada means to know. In the Old Testament, many times it was used to describe the consummation of a marriage. So a husband and wife would know each other at a deep and an intimate level like nobody else would know them. So the mnemonic device that I had to come up with for yada, so every single time I see it in the Hebrew Bible, I immediately recognize it's to know, was your dad your dad, Yada, And in my case, my father passed away before my sixth birthday. So there's a longing in my heart to know my dad at a deep, intimate level that I never really got to do. 
So yada is to know. And submitting to God is to know God on an intimate level. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, uh, not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, in an unmatched demonstration of selfless love, God put Jesus on the cross for you and for me to free us from our sins. And if God would do that greater work as these verses teach, if God would do that greater work of offering salvation to us through the death of his son, Jesus on the cross, if God would do that greater work, will he not take care of us in the everyday things of life if we cast our full weight upon him? If he does the greater, will he not do the lesser? See, to know God means to get to know him deeply. It means to get to know him intimately. It's a knowledge that comes through personal experience. Now, I don't know if you've noticed all the times that that scripture has been read today, verse 6, but I want you to notice the two words that are described in that verse to describe our lives as human beings that are under the care of God. What are the two words that are used there in verse 6? Ways and paths. And notice that they're both plural. See, these phrases aren't describing an individual life journey or a life path, you know, as if it's a singular event that someone is going on. They're used here in a plural sense to describe our lives as a course of individual steps that we take. Uh, uh, Our individual lives and these steps that we take as multiple decisions that are built upon decisions that we make. That, That there are crossroads that we come to in life and we have alternate courses or different courses that we can take. And they're used to describe that, to describe our lives. Now the picture here is not just that God is with us to help us along the way, but that he's here to direct our paths, which is why we need to trust him in the first place. It's why we need to not lean on our own understanding. It's why in all our ways, we need to yada him. We need to know him and get to know him. And it's why in every decision that we make and every action that we take needs to be in the Lord. And then the Lord will direct us. So let me ask you today, how are you doing in this realm? Are you trusting God in all of your ways? Are you trusting him in the big things and the little things of life, the big decisions and the little decisions, the big actions and the little actions of life? Are are there any areas of your life right now that you need to relinquish control of and hand them over to the Lord? See, the end of this verse says, if we do those things, he will make our paths straight. And the portrait here is of a road that appears for some reason to be impassable. It may be because of rough terrain. It might be because of setbacks or breakdowns or hardships and the like. And this is describing here our personal individual road of life that at times may be appear to go, be going nowhere. And God is saying, cast all your, your full weight upon me. Get to know me. And get to know my ways, and I will personally make your path straight. 
I will make it in the Hebrew language here, literally, I will make your path smooth. Now, our son-in-law, Daniel, and our daughter, Bethany, Gant, as I mentioned earlier in the announcements, had a little baby boy, Josiah Darrell Gant, to this last Monday afternoon. And of course, his grandparents, we wanted to do everything we could to help him out. So we had the, the two older brothers at our house for three days so uh, that they would be, when they would be in the hospital and that mom and dad could get some rest and adjust to having the new little baby uh, before uh, they went back home. And during that meantime, uh, they also hadn't mowed their lawn for a while uh, because it's been so dry and many of us have been carefully, uh, you know, should we mow or not because we're so dry. And their lawnmower had also broke down. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to load up my lawnmower, take it over there, mow the lawn for them. And a couple of years ago, they wanted to extend their yard and the back part of their property had formerly been uh, pasture by the owner of that place a couple of, uh, of uh, owners before. And so I brushed hogged that a couple times with my tractor. We raked up all that long grass. I mowed it. And then they've been mowing it ever since. But now in this dry time with all the fissures and cracks, it's rougher than all get out. Well, this spring, uh, Daniel and Bethany decided they wanted to take down an old fence that was between their front and backyards. They wanted to clean up some brush. And as a result of that, some of the edge of this drainage ditch was a little bit rough and there were some rocks and concrete blocks and other things that had just been thrown in there over the years. And we dug them up with the tractor um, and even some things we couldn't see, we lightly tilled it and stuff would come up so we would pick it up. And before long, I was able to till it all really nicely. And then Daniel, he seeded it and fertilized it. And then each year I cover the, the ends of my mound because we're at, the, at the, the, the very end of the life expectancy of our mound system at home. We've already set the money aside to replace our mound and get it repaired. But we, we're just trying to hang on to it as long as we can uh, for the future. And so each year I put straw in that to keep it from freezing on the ends. So I took that and hauled it in a trailer over to Daniel's and then we spread it out on top. And that grass has been growing phenomenal compared to the rest of the yard. So here I am, you know, going through that old pasture, trying to mow it, going slow, trying not to hurt my back. I'm worried most about my back, mowing. And then I come to the new stuff and smooth, smooth. And then boom, 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 boom on the other stuff. And then the new stuff, smooth, like mowing a, a green on a golf course. That's what God is saying to us here in this text. You can keep going through life like this if you want, you know, and doing things on your own and leaning on your own understanding. Or you can trust me, cast your full weight upon me, and I will make your paths straight. I will make your path smooth. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray together. God, our Father, again, we are so grateful for these first four chapters of the book of Proverbs that personify wisdom and appeal to us of the blessings and the benefits of pursuing wisdom in our lives. God, we know those bumpy roads. Our nation knows those bumpy roads right now that we're going through. And God, we see in much much of that um, chaos and much of that bumpy ride that what we're not seeing is wisdom being exercised. God, that's an illustration for our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that casting our full weight upon you, trusting in you and not trying to do things our own way is the only way to live in this life. Help us, God, to learn to trust you in all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.